please welcome our guest moderator, British Olympic and Commonwealth medalist, Ewan Thomas. Good afternoon, everybody. It gives me massive pleasure, first and foremost, to be sitting this close, getting this close to a man who I used to be hundreds of metres behind. He's an eight times world champion, four times Olympic champion, a living legend. Before he comes on stage, let's remind ourselves of how great he is. Let's look at him in action. As an athlete, I had two goals, medals and to run faster than any man had ever run before. Can anyone possibly beat this man? achieve an Olympic 200-meter, 400-meter double. I believe that running fast is more than just a God-given talent. It's a skill that can be perfected by coaching and the application of good technique. Get deep in that position, full lead, full lead. These days, I find myself analyzing and appreciating the skill of others. You guys do this every day? Platform. It's Super Bowl 45. Where are your flaws? What do you think? I mean, I got my ideas. Yeah. <laughs> but what do you think are the things that are going to help you to go even faster? Michael Johnson is in front. And this is where Michael Johnson normally turns it on. They're on the home straight away. Michael Johnson has a big lead. The defending champion is going to do it again. Johnson running to the line. Michael Johnson once more wins the Olympic title. He's got it. He's got it. What theater this is. He is one of the greats of all time. Ladies and gents, please welcome Michael Johnson. Now, I've got so much I want to ask you. I'm sure everybody here think of your questions. As I said before, in about 20 minutes' time, we're going to open the floor. But first and foremost, let's mention your book, Gold Rush. Let's. Now, being slightly vain as I am, I've got the book, I downloaded the app, and I, uh, I Googled myself. I put my name into it and see if you mentioned me. And you did. I thought, oh, nice one. <laughs> Big MJ spoke about me. Now, I'm going to read the quote. Now, this is the, uh, the Olympic 400 meter final in Atlanta. I'm 21 years old. I'm straight out of university. It's the biggest race of my life. I'm going up against the best athlete in the world. And this is what you said. This is talking about the race. As I went around the curve, I could only see you and Thomas from Great Britain in lane eight. I thought, yeah, he was worried, got some concerns. Then I read on. When I came out of the curve and into the third phase of the race to the final 100 metres to go, I was so far ahead of the rest of the field, I knew I would win this big style. Charming. <laughs> so there you are. I thought you were praising me and you basically just tore when, away with it. But When I wrote that, I didn't think you were going to read it. Oh, I can read. <laughs> no, but in the book, you're talking to different Olympians and you're looking into the mindset of what makes an Olympic champion. You know, I joke about it when people say, you know, you must have hated being around the same time as you. I think it was an honour, but, you know, 99.999% of the time, I only saw this view at the back of you. What made you so great? Why were you so much better than me? Well, I think, 
<laughs> and the rest of the world, not just me. I think, um, you know, as I, as I uh, wrote about in the book, and I, I had the, the, the pleasure of, of interviewing some other great Olympians, Steve Redgrave, Daley Thompson, uh, Nadia Komenich, you know, great Olympians, Mark Spitz, people who have also achieved at the highest level um, of the Olympic Games and won multiple times. And, and I think what, what was very interesting to, for me was that uh, most of the athletes that I interviewed for the book, and myself included, we all um, were fortunate to really have the ability to understand ourselves as athletes and what our weaknesses were, what our strengths were. Obviously, at the Olympic level, anyone at that, that, that level or that can compete at the Olympics and has that, that opportunity is, is talented physically. But I think uh, understanding how to get the best from yourself as an athlete, and, and that, uh, that takes understanding yourself as a person, what your personality quirks are, how you deal with pressure, and then formulating a way to deal with that and, and some, some tools to be able to, uh, to overcome the pressure and be able to have your best performances at the right time. And out of all the people you spoke to, yourself included, obviously you've mentioned some great athletes there. Who put you on the spot now? Who's the greatest Olympian? Who do you think is the best sportsman or sportswoman we've ever seen? Um, without a doubt, um, for me, it's, it's Jesse Owens. Jesse Owens was the greatest Olympian ever for me and one of my heroes. Um, you know, a four-time Olympic gold medalist, um, a uh, world record holder um, in the 1936 Hitler Olympics, you know, in the face of adversity. Um, coming home with four medals. What a lot of people don't know about Jesse Owens is most people know about his exploits at the 1936 Games when he won four Olympic gold medals. What a lot of people don't know is that in 1935, he broke four world records in one day. Yeah. I broke two in 11 years. Yeah. So he's, he was, he's the greatest of all time, in my opinion. How different would it be for Jesse if he was around today? You know, we look at the likes of Usain Bolt and, you know, and, and yourself, global superstars, the demand on them away from the track as well, commercially, there's so much to do. How would someone like Jesse have coped today, do you think? Uh, you know, today it's, it's, uh, there, are, there are so many more opportunities, but there's a, a lot more expectation, a lot more pressure. Uh, for an athlete at that level and uh, I think that uh, you know one of the things that made Jesse Owens so great was his ability to handle the pressure and perform under pressure so I think he would have been fine. Um, you take someone like Usain Bolt and he has a personality that you know really lends itself to that you know being a global superstar and so he's handled it quite well this, uh, uh, over the last uh, few years since he really first burst on the scene in 2008 um, but it's uh, I think it'll be a interesting games for him um, uh, because now there is a tremendous amount of pressure on him. He's not the new young star anymore. Now there is a, a, a tremendous expectation for him to deliver not only gold, but to deliver world records as well. How did you deal with that? I mean, you rewind the clock to Atlanta. You were a local athlete, a local guy. Pressure was on you. I mean, I, I, I personally remember walking out to the 400 final and the amount of cameras in the crowd. You know, I was laying eight and I was a bit overwhelmed by it. I mean, you had so much pressure on your shoulders. How did you deal with it? Um, it was... Uh yeah, being the face of Olympic Games is very difficult. As you know, it's tough to go into an Olympic Games. There's a tremendous amount of pressure for anyone because you never know if you're going to have that opportunity again. And it's what you've dreamed for and so uh, dreamed about all your life. And, and you have that opportunity. You never know if it's gonna, you're going to get that opportunity again. So you want to uh, make the most of it. And so um, then being the face of an Olympics where all of the pressure is on and, and the focus is on you as an athlete is very tough as well. But, you know, it was a from I dealt with it by, you know, striking the right balance between understanding that this is an incredible opportunity and a once in a lifetime opportunity. If I can make history at the Olympics 
on home soil, that will be, that's an incredible opportunity for me. But balancing that with also understanding that when the gun goes off, it's any other race. I have to execute that race just the same way I did all of the other races that got me to this point. And, and the preparation as well has to be the same. And so that's a very unique balance and a very difficult balance to, to strike. And so, you know, when you think about the athletes uh, who are preparing right now for the Olympic Games that are gonna take place here just in a few weeks time, you know, that's that balance that they will have to, uh, have to strike. You know, the, the home advantage is over once the gun goes off. Your, your blocks aren't gonna be set, you know, further ahead of everyone else's because it's a home games. You, you have to go in there and understand that, you know, this is, I have to execute the same exact way that I've executed in the past. Sometimes, I mean, people may not realize, but I mean, for me, I think, uh, apart from the odd athlete like yourself or Usain Bolt, who's clearly more talented or better, a lot is in the mind. I mean, a call room before you run, you go to small little call rooms and a lot of psychology goes on there. I remember looking at you, my memory of you, in every call room, World Championships, Olympic Games, you always, always seem so calm. I just want to know, were you ever bricking it? Were you ever really nervous? Um, it, didn't, it didn't look like it ever. It was, it was um, mission accomplished then, basically, because I wanted you to believe that. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's what I went wrong. No, you know, it, I, I was confident, but, you know, you, you always know that, you know, you're, it's a fine line. You could very well blow it, you know, and make a massive mistake in the race and, and end up losing. And, and the target was always on my back. I was always expected to win because of uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the level of expectation that I had set. But um, I always believed at that moment, you know, I need to be focused on the things I can control I, and, and, and not worry about the things I can't control. I can't control how fast you're going to run. I, don't, I can't do anything about that. You know, you're in your lane, I'm in my lane. What I can control is how well I execute the race. So at that time, my focus was always on how well, you know, I'm going to execute this race. What's my race strategy? And I would spend that time visualizing myself running the race over and over again in my mind and, and executing the race to, to perfection uh, to be as prepared as I possibly could. Um, but that's the, the, you know, that's the one moment I, I crave that moment. I mean, it's, it, it is a lot of pressure and they always make the call room really small yeah. so that we have to sit this close to one another. The people you're about to go do battle against, you got to sit right here. And so it's a very, very tense moment, but I really miss that moment because that's where all of the pressure is. You know, I always felt, I know I can win this race, but I'm about to find out if I really am going to win this race. And so, uh, in that, that anticipation was, uh, was that was a real high for me. No, I used to love it, you know, sharing rooms with you. You know, you were quite quiet. There was other athletes. I was one of them. My nervous energy, I used to walk around a lot and not shout like Usain Bolt, but, you know, I'd bounce off the walls a bit and you used to conduct yourself very well. But you're helping others now. You've launched two apps today. Getting inside people's heads, one of them, Motivate, sounds really interesting to me, just using your wisdom and, and helping people train. But before I ask you questions about that, I think we've got a little demonstration of that app. Welcome to my mobile application. My name is Michael Johnson, and I'm here to help you get fit and keep fit. Come on, you're almost there. Get to the end, and I'll give you a hug. Keeping fit in this country has just boomed. I mean, it, it's massive. Um, what was your reasoning for creating that app? And secondly, you've got quite, a, quite an intimidating voice there. I think if I was out on a five-mile run and you started 
offering me hugs. But I'm going to give you a hug. Yeah, I'm going to give you a hug, though. Yeah. Um, no, it's a, the, the motivation to, behind the app was uh, really just trying to help people, you know, get fit and stay fit. And, um, you know, one of the big things for me when I was competing was staying motivated every day. And, and you know, I was able to motivate myself and I was able to set goals and I was motivated by my goals and, and the idea of accomplishing those goals. And so the, the idea behind the app is helping people to get out there and stay out there and stay motivated to get out there and run every day. And that's one of the biggest problems for uh, most people in terms of their fitness goals is getting out there every day. And so once you set some goals with the app, I'm able to help you stay on top of those and, and, and motivate you to continue with it. Do you, do you get a bit nasty? You sounded quite nice there. Is there a nasty Michael Johnson if, out there? If you choose, if that's then that's, you know, you have to know what you respond best to. And oh. if you respond best to a little bit of nasty, I've, I've got some of that for you. There's actually a nasty and, uh, setting, is there? A, it's not quite called nasty. Okay. You know. Yeah, it might not sell but, too well if but, it's nasty, yeah. But that's what it is. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I'm going to have to go with that. And what, what's it like yourself? Have you used it and been told off by yourself? What's I, it feel like? <laughs> a bit surreal. Yeah, I used it. And um, so there's, there's, a, there's a huge difference between, and, and I, now I go out for, you know, four or five mile run. And uh, as you know, you know, we didn't do that sort of thing when we were competing. And uh, so it's quite different. And so it's taken me a while to get up to, you know, five, six miles. And um, so um, I was pretty hard on myself and I actually wasn't accomplishing my goals that, <laughs> that I set in the app. So um, I've got some work to do. And you can download power tracks, is that right? Different sort of songs to make you run faster at certain times. Yeah, you can, so you can download whatever music that you like and that, that helps you to get through the run. And uh, so for me, I, I always up, you know, have something a little bit more up-tempo to kind of keep me going, you know, not too hardcore rap, but something that, you know, with a little up-tempo, you know, up a little Tupac, something like nice. that. Yeah. So it's not just for professional athletes at all. This is aimed at no, this everyone. Is, this is aimed at people who, you know, want to get out there and get fit and want to stay fit and need a little bit of extra motivation. And it's fun as well. So it's for anybody who really wants to get out there and stay fit. And they can download this to the to their iPhone and take it out running. Absolutely. You can download it to your iPhone, iPad. and uh, But you can, you know, go online, connect with people. It's a social com network component to it as well. And share your goals and, and that helps as well when you're sharing your goals and what you you know what your goals are from a running standpoint with other people and kind of helps you to, to stay on top of so it. So I could ask you what you're doing tonight, vice versa, and we could challenge each other to, not that I want to run tonight, but you, <laughs> you, can, you can do that kind of thing, can you? That's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. And, and what's the, uh, the furthest you've run so far? I just want to be competitive now, I'm going to have a go. Furthest I've run is six miles. Six? Six. You've never done a marathon or anything like that? No. I might, I might download it. I'm doing a London Marathon next yeah. year. I might need your help in my ear at mile 20. I'll help you with that. I'll, I'll be moral support for you. Perfect. Yeah. And, and you've also brought out another app today, a bit more fun. This, yep. is, this, is, this is aimed at children, I think, to help them keep fit. We'll have a little look at this. Michael Johnson Fun Run, now that's aimed obviously at children to help tell them not to eat unhealthy food. I must confess, I had a little go on a minute ago and I couldn't help but miss the burgers. <laughs> I did a race where you're running around and you have to miss the fries, miss the milkshakes and just hit the apples and the healthy stuff. But, you know, I unfortunately uh, in real life too do like a bit of junk food. But in all seriousness, this is aimed at children just to educate them, yeah? 
Yeah, just to educate them about food and, you know, what types of foods to eat. And, and it's all about balance. I mean, look, nobody's going to, you know, it, it's very difficult to, to stay with a strict diet of, you know, and, and avoid all of the bad stuff. And so this is just about educating kids a little bit more about, you know, what they're putting in their bodies and what effects it has. And there's lots of little fun facts in there as well that kind of, you know, lets them know about foods and where foods come from and that sort of thing. And so, uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's really a fun game for kids to play. And so it, uh, you know, they're all playing different games and, and it's big for kids now. My son, he's big into the games and whatnot. So if we can do something that can, uh, you know, add a little bit of element of education and nu nutrition in there, you know, then and it's, it, it's, it's great. I mean, it's all well documented in the States. I mean, obesity is a massive problem. It's getting bad in this country as well. So uh, how, how bad is it? Do you think obviously this is a vital kind of app? Yeah, I think well, in the States, of course, um, you know, child obesity is a huge problem uh, because of the, not only the foods that kids are eating, but because of uh, physical education, which was mandatory, compulsory when I was in school, when I was growing up, and that's being taken out of a lot of the schools now because of a lack of funding. And so, um, you know, it's up to parents as, as well to, you know, try to help their kids to, you know, take on some healthy eating habits and stay active. And so, again, you know, you're not going to be able to get them off of the games. I mean, and it's fun for them and they love it. And uh, so if we can uh, use the, the, their interesting games and, and apps on phones and that sort of thing to help educate them, motivate them to get out there and stay active, then that's a great thing. I mean, these apps are amazing. I mean, technology nowadays, I mean, I was talking to someone beforehand when I was a kid, you probably didn't have it in the States. We had like a ZX Spectrum, like computers with really bog standard graphics. But I mean, the apps you brought out, I mean, technology is fantastic, isn't it? To take it to the people. Yeah, and the kids love it. And, um, and I mean, we have to realize, I mean, we didn't grow up with this technology, but this new generation of kids, they've grown up with this. And so then their expectations are high. They expect, you know, games with the best graphics and, you know, and, and interaction. And so uh, that's what we've been able to do with this. And, uh, and I think the kids will really enjoy it. Your family must be proud as well. Obviously, what you're doing off the track now, I mean, you've obviously done so many great things on it, but leading by example and trying to, trying to help the nation. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, uh, you know, what I try to do now with my career is, uh, after my uh, athletic career, is be able to help people, whether it's kids with this game or, or whether it's adults with the uh, motivational apps and, and also the book with Goal Rush, you know, just try to help people uh, achieve their goals and understand how to set goals and, and how to go about achieving those goals. And I was fortunate in my, in my own career to be able to do that, and I'm still applying a lot of the things that I learned uh, in my athletic career to the things that I'm doing now. And so, and it's been very helpful for me. And so my, uh, my objective now is to try to help other people with their goals. And you're doing well. You've got a great media career. I've worked with you myself last year at the World Champs. Do you miss it? Do you still think you can do it? I mean, you're still in good shape. I, you know, I, I don't miss it. I was actually, uh, and, and the only reason I don't is because I was extremely fortunate during my career to be able to do all of the things that I, I, that I set out to do. All of the goals that I set for myself, uh, I was able to accomplish. And uh, I was fortunate to be able to uh, to represent the U.S. in three different Olympics, and so um, when I decided to retire after the Sydney Games, um, I was still ranked number one and, and probably could have gone on, but I always said I wanted to, to retire uh, before uh, before it was too late and before it was over, and so um, and I was ready at that point uh, to move on to, to doing the other things that I'm doing now, and so I really enjoy you know the time I spend now working with BBC and and um, and, and television and the literary work I'm able to do and, uh, and creating apps and, and trying to help other people. And so it's, uh, it's a good life. I'm, I'm happy with where I am now. When you look back, um, what's your proudest moment? I mean, I think the 2-4 double in Atlanta, which no one else has ever done, is awesome. But Seville, 43-1-8, still the world record. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, those are obviously two of the highlights of my career. But, um, you know, I'm most proud of the 11 years that I spent as a professional athlete representing the U.S. and multiple world championships and Olympics. And, and I'm most proud of the fact that every championship I went to, I was able to bring home gold. And, uh, and so, you know, 97 world championships was my slowest 400 championship ever, but I wasn't even supposed still, to be still there. Still five places ahead of me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it wasn't, it's not one of the highlights, but for me it was. I was injured going into that race and probably shouldn't have even won it. I was in fifth place or sixth place, I believe, with 100 meters to go and was able to pull out a victory. So I'm proud of all of those things and all of the work that went into uh, with my coach and myself trying to, uh, trying to bring home gold every time, and we were successful in doing that. So, you know, it's, it's the entire career that, that really I'm most proud of. Oh, it's been a fantastic career. I've loved running against you. Sometimes cursed you because you're too good. But, um, and the book, Gold Rush, is fantastic. And the two apps are out today. Uh, what we're going to do now is open the questions to the floor. If you have got a question for Michael, wait for a microphone to come to you. But uh, for now, everybody, Michael Johnson. Thank you. Right, who's got some questions? Uh, Michael, um, you've been a great ambassador for the sport. And uh, we really salute you. Um, your running style, obviously, I think a lot has been um, spoken about your, your running style. I just want to know, is it something that you naturally adopted or is it something you actually, uh, a style of running you trained to, uh, to, to run? I mean, it's obviously been very successful, but um, I'm just wondering, it's just, I'm just curious. Sure. Um, so it was always my natural way of running, so my natural style. and. Um, at the beginning of my professional career, um, most people said, yeah, I'd have to change my running style if I was going to ever be able to compete at the highest level and if I was ever going to beat the people that I was actually already beating. And so um, my coach and I always felt like, you know, it was more efficient and a more efficient style of running is a faster style of running. And so, uh, but we wanted to, obviously, you know, it made sense for us to make sure that uh, what we thought we were doing right, that we were actually doing right. So we had some studies commissioned and found out that yeah, my style was actually much more efficient. Once we found that out, we started to incorporate some things into the training program to be able to enhance that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that if anyone else adopts that running style, that it's going to work for them. So, you know, people ask a lot of, why aren't other people adopting your style? Well, it may not actually work for them. Yep. Michael, can I just ask, how young were you when you realized that you had this amazing athletic talent, and who nurtured it? Who was the first person to nurture it? Well, I, I started um, from the very beginning playing all different kinds of sports. I was just, I loved competing, I loved sports, but I always loved running, I always loved sprinting. And, um, but I was actually in my, I was 20 before I started to really realize that, you know, I had the ability to, to, to be a world beater and to be the best in the world. And that was because at that point, that's when I started to actually run the times that, uh, that were world-class times and started to beat some of those individuals. Prior to that, I was just kind of taking it one step at a time and uh, as opposed to, you know, being a high school kid, you know, dreaming about being the best in the world, I was trying to beat the other high school kids. Hi. Um, can you describe what it was like to win gold for the first time after all those years of preparation and, and you actually got there? Mm. And also... Can you perhaps describe the mental strain that some of the British um, athletes may now be going through with only two weeks to go? I mean, if you've been living in London for the past six months, you, have, you hear about it every second on the radio, yeah. every second on the television, and people like Tom Daly, Jessica Ennis, and Di Green from Wales, obviously. There's a lot of 
sort of pressure on them to win for the first time. What will they be going through now? And what is the emotional downside if their dreams are broken? Well, it's, it's a very good question, and it's, uh, it, that's exactly what um, all of those athletes that you mentioned, they're, they're thinking about those things now. But, um, you know, the, there's, there's the home field advantage, uh, as you mentioned, over the last, and this has been going on now for the last couple of years, the advantage that British athletes uh, have, uh, have is that over the last couple of years, they've had this constant motivation a constant reminder of why you're out there training hard every day. There are some days you wake up and you're just not really feeling it. But as you're driving to the stadium for training and you see these billboards and you see all of this Olympic you know, hype, it, it motivates you. Other athletes around the world haven't had that. That's the advantage. And of course, then anytime uh, there's an Olympics coming to your country or to your hometown, there's increased funding and sponsorship, and that certainly helps athletes to be able to train and, and train with uh, and coaches and federations are, have increased funding to be able to provide better training methods for the athletes. But once the games start, then, as I said before, there is no advantage at that point. And so the, there's a balance. You have to be able to, 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 to understand that and understand that you know now it's it's all about execution. These athletes uh, should be at this point with a couple of weeks to go. Now in the final preparation stage, you'll start to ask yourself now, have I done everything that I possibly could do in those days that maybe you didn't quite you know make it to practice or didn't quite give it a hundred percent in practice? Those are now going to start to come back and haunt you. And so it, it's too late now. The work has been done. So now it's all about becoming mentally prepared. But as far as, you know, the downside emotionally of not having your best performance here, and we have to remember, I mean, you mentioned some people, Di Green, Tom Daly, you know, Jess Ennis. Those are people who are going for gold, and, and they're, 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 they're trying to win, and they're in a position to potentially win. But a win for some athletes is going to be making the semifinals. A win for some athletes is just having made the Olympic team. But at the end of the day, you want to walk away from this Olympic game saying, I had my best performance there, and I'm proud of that. If you don't, you, know, you have to understand and realize that it's still, you know, it's not the end of the world. This is what you do for a living. This is your job, and it's a dream come true, absolutely. But it's not the end of the world. It's not the rest of your life. And so you have to balance that, though. You can't you know, take that attitude going into the games. You have to balance that with that this is an incredible opportunity as well. And so and that's, a, that's a fine balance and a difficult one to strike. But that's what these athletes will have to do in order to go in and have their best performance with the best chance, but also to understand that if you don't, you know, life's okay. It's true. I mean, not everyone can have their best day when it matters, unfortunately. For the Olympics, like Michael tell you, everything has to go perfectly right. You don't just turn up run around the track everything has to be right did you sleep well the week before Do you know have you picked up a slight bug have you slightly injured did you eat well can you handle the nerves everything has to go well but the athletes you mentioned I, th I personally think they're in the best shape of their lives I think the home crowd like Michael said is an advantage you know some people crumble under pressure but if you're a professional athlete you've trained all your life for that moment you should rise to the occasion and I think the London crowd will give them that extra 10% yeah it's um, it's you know I, this is where we slightly disagree you know, I, I think it depends on the athlete. You know, it, when you walk into the stadium, the, you know, when these athletes walk into the stadium, it will be like I did in 96 in the Atlanta Games. You will see a pro-British crowd, overwhelmingly British crowd. But 
if you are able to, and when I walked into that stadium, the first day it was a preliminary round, and of course that was a, that's an easy round for me to get through, and I don't have to be as focused as I need to be, but I still need to be focused. I could feel the crowd, and I could feel that support. But after that, with each round, now I've got to be more focused on execution. That stadium could have been anywhere in the world, and that stadium could have been full of people from anywhere and supporting any athlete. It wouldn't matter because I've got to be absolutely focused on execution of my race. You, you can't go into the race, any of these athletes, they can't go into the race expecting that they're going to get 10% from the crowd. Do you not think the, uh, the whole situation, and maybe not just on race day, but walking around the village, the feel-good factor, you know, everybody knowing your name and you can do it, you know, all the reassurance, do you not think that is an extra 10%? I think it depends on the athlete. Um, not 10%, though. Half a percent? Meet me in the middle. Yeah, I'll give, I'll, I'll give you a little bit. It's, it's worth a, it, it is a factor, and it depends on the athlete again. And, it depends, and some of it depends on the athlete and what position they're in. Let's take Jess Ennis, for example. I mean, everyone's behind Jess, and, and she's in phenomenal shape right now. Her long jump's a little iffy. And, uh, but other than that, she's in great shape. But the thing is, is she's in a position where, you know, she's probably going to have to achieve a personal best in order to win it. That's a tough position to be in. And so she's got to be focused on trying to get every point she possibly can. And no one's going to do it but her. And once that competition starts, she's out there by herself. You take uh, Di Green, for example. He's probably going to just run a personal best uh, this past weekend. Still lost. That's tough. That's really, really difficult. And so, you know, it's going to come down to execution at the end and trying to have the best competition you possibly can and you know the magic of the crowd you know getting into you and somehow giving you you know an extra you know not even (laughs) but but at the end of the day (laughs) that percent is not what really makes it happen it's having that little bit of extra energy that little bit of extra speed that little bit of extra power where does all of that come from it comes from training it comes from execution of the event you know, to perfection and not making any mistakes during the race. That's where it ultimately comes from. And so you have to be realistic as an athlete and understand that and know that. And then any benefit that you get from the energy of the crowd, that's gravy. And it's half of a half a percent. Okay, we'll, we'll take that. We'll take the quarter. Next question. Hi there. Hi there. Um, I'm, I come from New Zealand and we've, our country's traditionally had a very good background in long distance runners, with long distance runners. But over the last few years, long distance running has been dominated by, predominantly by people from Ethiopia and Africa. Um, I'm interested to know, from your opinion, what have these guys got that a lot of the other nations are missing? And because it's certainly not institutes and uh, colleges, that they've obviously got something that that, that athletes from, mo- from a lot of other countries are missing. Right. Have you got an opinion on that? i got an opinion on everything. <laughs> um, what makes these guys so good? Um, you know, what, first, I mean, they have, I mean, these kids from the very, very beginning, I mean, they're running literally 10 miles to school and 10 miles back, so it's just in them. They, um, they also live at very, very high altitude which helps in terms of their, you know, their system to be able to, they're just predisposed to be able to run long distances because of that. 
But I think the most important thing is, is there's a tradition there where these kids grow up seeing people who look just like them, who come from neighborhoods just like them, who live right next door to them, becoming great athletes. And so it's what they want to do as well. It's the same thing that happens in Jamaica with sprinters. Tiny island, but they got the best sprinters in the world. And the facilities are okay, but they're not the best. But sprinting is the national sport in Jamaica, and many of those communities in Ethiopia and Kenya, the, uh, the national sport for them is long-distance running. Not just athletics, long-distance running. In New Zealand, you've got a very, very good discus thrower. And, and that's become a tradition now, and now there are other kids starting up because of having a great discus thrower, and they see that, and she's one of the best in the world, and bringing home medals every championship, and other kids are starting to see that, and that's what they want to do as well, because that's the hero that they aspire to be. So it, you know, there is, obviously, with coaching and facilities and equipment and that sort of thing, that's great, but there has to be a motivation there from the beginning, and I think that that's one of the, the main things, that, and that's one of the main reasons why the Ethiopians and Kenyans are, are dominating those events. Uh, Michael, as an athlete, uh, I'm sure you were asking yourself uh, questions every day during your career. Uh, you gave the answers to these questions and uh, that's why you achieved all these amazing goals. Uh, I was wondering, by the end of the career of a man who has been a world champion, a world record holder, an Olympic champion, is there any question that has been not answered in his mind? And if there is, what is this question? That's deep. That's deep. Yeah, that's yeah. very deep. Um, Were you good at school? Did you behave? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think the only question that wasn't ever answered was, how fast can I actually go? Because I never had my perfect race. And you're always, as a sprinter, you're always trying to run the perfect race. And, and I, you know, my 200-meter wall record, I stumbled coming out of the blocks. It wasn't a perfect race. I actually strained my hamstring three meters from the finish line. Had I not done that, would that have been the perfect race? Um, my 400 meter wall record. Um, I didn't execute exactly to perfection in the way that I wanted to at the front part of the race. And so how much did that cost me? Um, so, you know, that's the only question that's, that's never been answered. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, I think that You know, when I look back on my career and, and the career of many athletes and those that I interviewed for, for the book for Gold Rush, you know, most athletes who are able to achieve at that level know themselves and, and you're constantly asking yourself the question, how can I be better? And you know, what is it about me that I respond better to this type of pressure or, or I don't respond as well to this pressure, I respond better to this type of training or this type of preparation? What is it about me that allows me to do that? Or, or doesn't allow me to excel in this particular area. And then you're always trying to make the adjustments to improve in those areas. So um, I think that uh, at the end of the day, there's, there's not anything that I can say outside of, you know, just how fast could I have actually gone? What was my limit? There's nothing else that I can say that, uh, that hasn't been answered. Okay, last question, please. Um, for any um, future aspiring young athletes that are too young to com also compete in this uh, Olympics, what would be your inspirational words for them to basically aspire to your standard or even go beyond your standard as an athlete? Well, I my advice would be to, to set their own standard. I mean, had I, uh, had I just really you know, uh, set the standard to um, 
you know, duplicate or emulate what some of the athletes who had come before me had done, then I never would have made history in the sport, and I never would have achieved my best. And so athletes, you know, should, you know, try to figure out what they feel their, their best is and, and, try to, and try to perform at their best and try to achieve that. And so set some new goals. Don't be afraid to kind of step outside of the box and do something that hasn't been done before. Um, but most importantly, you, know, you want to understand what your best is and what your potential really is. And, and be, you have to be truthful about your potential. I mean, everyone can't be a world-class sprinter. Um, and so, you know, uh, you know there were some, there are, I know athletes who I competed against in, in at the high school level and at the university level. And those athletes who, you know, never made it to uh, Olympic level but felt that they actually ended up at the end of the day achieving their best, were very happy and pleased with what they were able to do. Well, that's it, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to Michael. Check out Gold Rush, Motivate, and also Fun Run. I've been on them, they're really good apps and everything, and a uh, pleasure speaking to you again. Thanks. Thank you. Cheers. Michael Johnson. <laughs>